Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today at the almost the end of another sermon series. That probably doesn't mean as much to you as it does to me. I work on sermon series for a long time, and when it's over, it's a little bit of sadness. And you're going, hmm, okay, well, whatever. But uh, we, we're at the second to last. Today's not the end of our, our marriage series. We, it, it, today is the last of a specific topic inside of marriage. Next week, we're going to kind of zoom back out, and we're going to be looking at, you know, where we go from here. You know, there, there's a lot of these messages, you know, I recognize they can feel you leaving like, well, I, I can't fix that now. I can't do anything about that now. And you learn about what God said in this area or that area, and all, all you feel like is, well, I've, I've messed that up. You know, what, what's left for me but, but shame and, and guilt, and I can't, I can't fix it. That's never where Jesus leaves us. Jesus always brings a new chapter. Amen? Like, I mean, literally, Jesus brings a new chapter, that, that's what he has for you. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever you've messed up. Say, well, Mike, I can't do anything about my kids. My, my kids are grown up. I can't do anything about my marriage. We're, we're divorced. It's never over with God. And that's what it means. So we're going to look at something. Actually, what we're looking at next week, a very profound verse at how God can give back what you and I lost. And... Uh, it, it applies to everything in life. It's not just marriage and, and parenting. It, it applies in all of life. We're just going to focus in on it as marriage and parenting. But that's what we'll... I think I've already started preaching next week's message. So uh, I'm really excited about it. Y'all be back here next week. Lord willing, God will give us that opportunity. But uh, today we're last kind of specific topic, and we're looking at money. And to kind of keep in the vein of what we've been saying, money matters as if it needed to be said. We, we all know money matters. Money is, is big in our conversation. It's big in our thoughts. It is big in our activity. You know, I, I'm not making this statement as a something you're doing or I'm doing wrong, but just kind of recognizing the practical reality of that. Most of us have a thought or a conversation about money way more than we do God. I mean, I mean stop and think about it. I, I mean, I don't want that to be true of my life, but I mean, hey, may, may, maybe I, I prayed this morning. Maybe I read God's Bible this morning. May, maybe I had a conversation with somebody about it. And, and it'd be nice if that happened every day, right? But it doesn't always happen every single day. Let me tell you what does happen every single day. I reach for the wallet. Every single day, I'm I'm dealing with a bill. We're having a conversation about a bill. We're making a decision. We're Venmoing something. Do you realize how much more money is front and center in our lives than than even God? As, As believers and lovers in God, it's still so much more. And, and it really can be a very negative thing in a, very, a marriage, a very negative shaper of marriage. I mean, you look at about any study, any research, any survey, and marriage is always going to be somewhere around number two to number five. 
It'll be somewhere in there is the number one reason we get divorced. If you, if you, if you set divorce aside and just talk about arguing, then it's a solid number one and number two. Number one and number two issues that we argue about money. And here's the crazy thing. More doesn't fix it. And you know what? Hearing that, it's almost impossible when you're dealing with a situation to not think, boy, we just had a little more. It always seems like more would fix it. But guess what? People with more get divorced over money. People with more go bankrupt. Uh, People with more are arguing about it. So more doesn't seem to be the fixer. We anticipate that it's going to be. I wonder what Jesus would say would be the fixer. You know, I wonder if he was to to listen to our conversations. And again, so much of what I'm saying today is true if you're just an individual. But, but since we're in marriage, if he would just listen to the conversations in a marriage about money, I, w- I wonder if Jesus would say, hey, you know, I can tell you your problem. Y'all are arguing like you're a couple of owners and you're deciding who's going to be the bigger owner in this moment. You do realize neither one of you is an owner. And not only that, you're going to sit down and talk with the owner about what you did with his money and you're not ready. Oh, Jesus wouldn't say that, would he? Would he say that? Oh, it's not that he would, it's that he did. He did say that. Look with me today, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 42 to 48. This is a a kind of a common theme, uh, a common issue that, that Jesus is addressing. Luke chapter 12, verse 42 to 48. And it says there, And the Lord replied, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a great reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, My master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk. (laughs) The master will return unannounced, unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. So here's a little clue I have when I'm reading Scripture. Whenever it talks about getting cut into pieces, I think, okay, this is for real. Just write, I think he's serious, out to the side. Uh, Verse 47 And a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. Okay, so it's kind of the good news and the the bad news there. The good news is you won't be punished for what you don't know. The bad news is you will be punished for what you chose not to know. That's right. You you chose not to know. You chose to remain ignorant. Now, God won't hold you accountable for that. There'll be less punishment, but you're supposed to know. Listen to how this finishes. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Now, we normally and rightly hear this verse to be saying, you know, if you've been given a lot of money, you're going to be accountable for a lot of money. If you've been given a lot of uh, 
skills and abilities. You're going to be accountable for that. It, it does mean that, but the context here is information. If you've been given a lot of information, you're going to be held accountable for what you know. If you don't know, I won't hold you accountable for that, but you're still held accountable for that. Did you follow the logic there? Folks, do you know if you hold a Bible today, you've been given much? That's not just on money, on, on any topic, on any issue, on everything going on in life. If you have God's word, he's given you the Bible, then you have much and much will be required. You and I have much. So this passage is about uh, stewardship. That's a, a common idea. Jesus addresses it a lot, has a lot of verses in and around the idea of stewardship. Steward, being a steward, stewardship is kind of a financial term. And so we tend to only think about it in terms of money, but it is broader it is bigger than that. I, I'm not just a steward of money. I'm a steward of money, of kids. Uh, I'm a steward of good days and bad days. Hey, you and I are a steward of this church. God's given us this church. So as a steward, I've got to manage my worship inside of this church that God's given me. I've got to manage serving him and loving him inside this church he's given me. I've got to manage the relationships of being inside the body of Christ. See, all these things are things that God has given us and will be held accountable for how we manage. Well, how would I know how to manage all these things? It's all right in here. You'll not be held accountable for anything that you were never told. But you and I were told how to manage all of these things. So the concept of stewardship, the word we would use, we don't use the word steward a whole lot, do we? We use the word manager. You and I are managers of these things. And if we're managers, that makes God what? The owner. Do you, do you realize, my guess is very few people made a single decision this week in light of the fact that it's not your money. It's all God's money. It's all God's house. This body belongs to him. The air I breathe belongs to him. The good days, the bad days, the opportunities, the problem, it all belongs to God. And my job is to manage it, to live inside of each of these things in a way that brings glory to him, in a way that shows the goodness of his word, the goodness of his instructions. You know, there's probably some things in your life right now you're trying to pray out of your life and maybe miss the reality that God put you in that situation or God allowed that situation. Why? Why would he do that? Because he knows, he trusts you, don't we one time say, Lord, would you not trust me very much? Um, hey, if you go through this, you can live according to my word. And your kids get to see, your spouse gets to see, your friends, your coworkers get to see how good my word works through you. That's, you realize that's all the assignment you have this week. That's it. To walk through any and every situation, manage it. According to God's word, manage it in a way that people see his word. He is the owner. 
Listen, if my spouse and I, if, if your spouse and you, if your man, say, ah, we got all the money in the world. I'm not worried about it. We never argue about it. We get along great about that. But you're managing as if you're the owner. Let me tell you something. You're heading to a bad place. I'm, I don't mean like you're heading to a bad place. You're going to hell. I don't, I don't mean that. You're, you're heading to a bad place in that you are managing wrong. You're not the owner. We have freedoms. I think as managers, we have some freedoms and choices into how we manage, but we always have to be managing in light of the fact there is an owner and he's going to hold me accountable for what I did with his stuff, what I did with his body, what I did with his day, what I did with his heir. You know why this is such a big issue to God? You know why this is the thing that Jesus talks about more than anything in the Gospels? Because he wants us to give it all to him. No. Because money is our biggest rival. I mean, it's almost a universal statement. I'm not saying we all struggle the same with this temptation, but money is the biggest rival for God. And the more you have, the less you need him. We look to money the exact same way we look to God. We will... Many of us will do that this very week. We don't intend to, don't want to, maybe don't realize we are, but we look to money for strength. We look to money for opportunity. We look to money for ability. We look to money for peace. We look to money for security. We All the things I'm to be looking to God for, depending upon God for, we're trying to find in money. So what ends up happening is the more I have, the less I need to trust in God. Is is that the goal of your marriage right there? I mean, a lot of us will say, well, the first part, but not the last part, but they go hand in hand. I mean, that's why Jesus said, boy, it's hard for rich people to go to heaven. You say, if you you have money, if you're rich, you you don't go to heaven, you don't trust God. No, there are rich people going to heaven, and there are rich people who trust God and walk with God. Jesus is pointing to a reality, the more we have, the more we trust in the money. It's hard to trust in God when money is making everything happen in our lives. That is just a a reality that we are all battling. And so here we are in our marriage and and we think, oh, we've got we got money problems. We can't pay this bill. And he, you know, one of them's a saver and one of them's a spender, and boy, they can't see eye to eye on it. We we gotta back up. The, the, the problem is way higher than that. It's at 30,000 feet. It's not down here. You fix up here, you solve all the problems down here. And we back up and we got to begin operating in our marriage knowing who the owner is, managing like there is an owner. I want to show you today four directives the owner has given you. You now know. You can never say again, I didn't know. You're now going to know what the owner said. Why is everybody leaving? Y'all come back. No, leaving right now will not get you out of this. Okay. No, for all those online, no, they're not exiting. Somebody actually on the first row came up last year and said, were people really leaving? No, they're they're not leaving. But you and I know. Let's read this again. Before you hear an owner speaking into your life about his money, Before we get these four directives, let's make sure we hear again what God is saying. Luke chapter 12. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to read verse 47. And a servant who knows what the master wants 
but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. You know, I don't know entirely what that means, if I'm being honest with you. I believe in grace. I believe in forgiveness. I believe when we go to heaven, that's all resolved. But you know what, folks? Grace and forgiveness doesn't mean how I live doesn't matter. Grace and forgiveness doesn't mean that I'm not accountable for anything. Grace and forgiveness means I get to go to heaven, that, that I have God's love and forgiveness. That doesn't mean there's not a point where we sit down and say, now let's talk about what you did as a believer, all right? And I, I don't know what all severely punished looks like. I don't want to find out. Let's just live in light of the instructions, right? So what are those instructions? Four directives from the owner. Number one, Give to the Lord, honor him first. That's a very important word, first, with the tithe. Okay, you go to Proverbs chapter 3. It really highlights the word first all throughout the Old Testament. You're going to see the word first fruits. What's fruit? It's the product of my labor, the, the fruit of my work. First fruits, the first thing I do with a harvest, the first thing I do with, with a paycheck is give the tithe. What is the tithe? It's 10% of our income, meaning I don't have 90%, I don't have 100% of my salary to build a budget. I have 90% of a salary to build a budget. I don't make a single financial decision in light of the 100. Every financial decision in light of the 90. The the tithe belongs to him. I want to throw a real curveball at you. Do you know God doesn't owe you a thank you letter for giving the tithe? It's his. You didn't give him a single penny. The tithe actually belongs to him. Two passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, that really highlight what I mean here. This is more than just saying, oh, it's all God's, everything. No, it's it's way more than that. Malachi chapter 3 says, when I don't give the tithe, I am robbing God. Okay, now think about this. If I owe you something... And, and I don't give it, then I've done wrong, right? But I'm not robbing you. Robbing you is when I go and I take something that is yours and I, I steal it. The tithe belongs to him. It's his. When you keep it, you are robbing from God. Jesus said it this way. I think a, a line pretty well known. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what belongs to God. Now, quick question. Caesar, of course, is representative of the government. Give to the government what belongs to the government. So a little quick question here. Do you decide what belongs to the government? (laughs) Okay, then we're not talking about voting or taxes or anything like that right now. Not talking about whether we like it or agree with it. We're not talking about what it costs to go to the CPA. We're not talking about any of those things. Who determines what you give to the government? The government determines that. I don't determine. I don't get to call the government and say, you know, it's been a rough month. Been a rough year, actually. I'm just going to hold back a little bit. Maybe I'll catch you next time around. Yeah, see, I don't get that option. The government determines what belongs to the government. The reason I say that isn't Jesus kind of setting up a parallel structure here. Just as you give to Caesar what Caesar demands, you give to God what belongs to God. One word, belongs. 
It belongs to him. It's his. We're not doing God a favor. I mean, we call it an act of worship. We call it an act of gratitude. It's, it's not those things. Do you know what giving the tithe is? It's acknowledging that we have an owner in our lives. If you don't give the tithe, how do you acknowledge that you have an owner? You know, I do believe there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I do believe we're not under the law. A lot of folks will say, well, tithing's under the law, so we, we don't have to tithe. But that's not exactly, first of all, the law or, or the tithe predates the law, postdates the law, is outside of the law. But when Jesus says, give to God what belongs to God, doesn't it demand the question, what belongs to God? What verse would you use to answer that question? Jesus is clearly saying something in your pocket belongs to God. Now, how are you going to answer the question of what without going to the tithe? You know, when we come out from under the law, in the the law, you, you gave the tithe. There was a variety of offerings. They all had names. We think 10% is, oh my gosh, seems like a lot of money. A a faithful Jew at the end of the year roughly gave about 29% of their income. And you gave it in these various places. And I'm guessing it felt a lot like a tax. I'm guessing it felt a lot like paying the government. We've come out from under that. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We're not buying our way into heaven. We're not trying to pay for approval before God. But giving is still very much a part of the life. Why? Because we're battling worshiping it. And instead worshiping God. So we want to keep it as a tool in our life. And Jesus still says, New Testament. Hey, some of this belongs to God. What belongs to God? The tithe. So I'm never going to make a financial decision that any way tempts or challenges my ability to do number one. We're putting things in order from the owner. Number one, give the tithe. Give that to the owner. Number two, provide for your family. Provide for the family. Now, that's, this is a tricky one here. This, if you read 1 Timothy 5.8, it seems really heavy, very serious. It's very important to be able to provide for your family. <laughs> but that's kind of subjective, isn't it? I mean, what does it mean to provide for our family? You know, I, I imagine if we went through here and said, hey, list 10 things that you believe is just the minimum of providing for a family. I, we'd have some similarities, wouldn't we? We'd also have some differences. Oh, no, this is what we, what we need to do. Oh, no, no, no. It's, is this, is this, we might order the 10 things differently. Hey, let's just get down to like bare minimum, right? Food, shelter, and clothing. Can we all agree that? You got to do that to provide for a family. Have we just really described anything there? Mm-mm. Golly, how much shelter? What kind of clothing? What kind of... I mean, one family can be over here providing for a family of four at $2,500 a month. And another family is over here providing for a family of four at $10,000 a month. Well, that's a pretty big difference, isn't it? So I'm not going to get into all that today. It's too hard. Let's just say this. What is God ordering? Number one, bring the tithe first. Number two... Provide for your family. Don't make financial decisions that challenge, that test, that tempt your ability to keep things in order. To do number one and to do number two. You know where uh, the, the budget comes off the rails for most Americans? The car. 
the, the car. Now, see, I, I can't turn to a verse and say, how much should I spend on a car? But you know what? There's a lot of really wise financial people out there, a lot of budgeting gurus, and they've studied all the salary levels, all the kinds of... And they're basically going to say in your budget, 15%. 15% of your budget should be for, for auto, right? Now, you do know that's not just the car loan. It's car payment. It's oil. It's gas. It's insurance, it's tires that you need every, what, three years, four years? I don't know how much you drive. All of that has to go in the 15%. So what we do is, well, I'm a little over 15. But you know what? Right now in my budget, I'm not, I'm not using this. So I pull 2% over. And I've got a percent over here. Okay, now I've, I've got it covered. I can make a payment that I can't make. Because what happens is I just signed something that said I'm going to make this payment for what? 48, 60 72 months. Well, guess what happens? Somewhere along around month 37, that place where I got 2%, it comes calling. It wants it back. And and you see, we we start getting into trouble. So if I'm going to keep things in order, I need wisdom that's outside of myself. How much should I be paying for housing? How much should I be paying for an auto? How much should I be saving? How much should be debt? We, We need help. Go get that help. This, this is too important not to get right. Number one, bring the tithe. Number two, provide for the family. Number three, take care of debt. Now, for today's conversation, because we're not, we're not, this is not a money seminar, okay? I'm not talking about mortgage here, and I'm not talking about car. We just talked about the car, okay? And there's a, there's a line item for the mortgage up in housing. There's a line item for the car uh, uh, up, in, up in auto. We're, today we're talking about all the other debt we get into. Um, you know, I'm, I'm old enough. I remember my parents getting their first credit card. And it wasn't their first credit card. It was like the invention of credit cards. And it was crazy back then. I mean, do you know if you needed a refrigerator? I mean, prior to that moment, the first credit card arrived. You, when you went to Zorro, you had to have the money for it. It was crazy back then. <laughs> if you wanted to sit on something in your house, this is awful. You had to have the money for that thing you wanted to sit on. And they went to bathroom outdoors. It was awful. It was awful back then. Then we got a credit card. And now all of a sudden, I don't need I don't need to actually have the money for what I want to do. And it didn't happen all, all at once. I mean, my, my parents actually convinced me, if you pay one penny to an interest, to a credit card, you'll die and go straight to hell. And I don't know why, but I believed them. And to this day, I've never paid a single penny of interest to a credit card. Because my, my dad scared me to death on that. But we got over that, didn't we? And as each new generation, and it wasn't credit card, man, they just come pouring in the mail. And all of a sudden, we're now managing life with debt. Now, the Bible has roughly zero to say good about debt. Absolutely nothing. Does that mean all all debt is sin? You know, I wouldn't actually say that. Um, There is a context that the Bible is addressing. So for most of human history... And in much of the world, debt was your first step to becoming a slave. And I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm talking about literally somebody else owning your life. Debt 
is how most people have ended up in slavery throughout human history. If it wasn't, if it wasn't slavery, then it was debtor's prison. And people's lives are wrecked, they're ruined, they're stolen because of debt. And so it's in that context, the Bible just has nothing at all good to do. Don't do that. Don't start down that road. Now, we're in a little bit different context, right? We have laws today that govern the relationship between a lender and and a debtor. And that's, that's good news, right? And so there are things out there like a house and a car still need to depend upon the Lord, still need to be wise and strategic in how we manage that. But consumer debt, I think, takes us right back to what the Bible's trying to address. When we start, when we start managing life with debt, we're right back to slavery. We're right back to, to prison. We're, we, it, it steals our freedom. It steals our choices. It brings incredible tension into the marriage. I mean, you remember back in the old days, it actually took a long time to get in debt, to really get yourself into a mess. Today, I, how many couples are getting married, and on day one, they have more debt than their parents ever had? Now, a lot of that's because of college, right? That's, that's going to be one big one. But I mean, right away on day one, we're trying to manage this brand new marriage and have more debt than our parents ever had. And there is a difference between the car and the house. If I get in trouble, I can sell the car and house, right? And I'm probably temporarily going to make things even worse. That's usually what happens when you're trying to get out of that mess. But you can sell it. You know what I can't sell? The vacation I went on nine months ago and went in debt over. You see, you can't, you can't undo that. And that's what the Bible is saying. It's going to make you a slave. So wisely, strategically, again, you go to the, to the budget help. Roughly 5% of your budget should be for this. But you need to have a plan. The owner does not want you managing life through debt. So we have to have a plan to get out of it. Lastly, number four, serve others. Serve others. Have a question. This will revolutionize not just your finances, it'll revolutionize your marriage. Introduce this marriage into your weekly, monthly budgeting and discussions. How much can we give? How much can we give? Wait a minute, I thought we just did that back up in number one. No, 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 no. Number one's just acknowledging there's an owner. You have to acknowledge there's an owner, okay? Number four is where we, is where we start to give. Well, who am I giving to now? Oh, gosh, there's all kinds of opportunity. You may be giving even more to the church you attend. You may be giving to ministries that you're really impassioned by what they do or, or what they're involved with. Maybe you're giving to a certain ministry because of what you get out of it. You're just a recipient. You're blessed by that ministry. Maybe you're helping those in need. Whether they're, they're people struggling that you know or people that you don't know. If you read much of the Gospels, Jesus, he seems pretty excited about you and I using what we have to care for the poor and to those in trouble, to those in need. So we start asking that question, how much can we give? Now, boy, when you ask that question, it just sounds like it's got to be a big number, doesn't it? Hey, how much, you, how much more can we do? It might be $5. Might be $10, but that simple act. You, you know what happens? When you start asking that question, money ceases to be a threat for being God, and it becomes a tool that you're using. 
It's now just a tool in your life or a tool in your marriage, a tool in your home when you start to use it in that way. When you can give it, it can't possess you. When you're trying to get, how do I get more and how do I hold on to what I have? You are, I'm going to go right back to what the Bible says, you are a slave. Yes, metaphorically, you are a slave to that money. It profoundly changes things. Profoundly changes things when you just start asking a simple question. Let's build a budget. Let's manage. Let's have conversations about how much we can give. Well, I tell you, folks, the opportunity, your marriage, my marriage, is to show people what happens when you live by God's instructions on on sex and sexuality, on fighting, on money, all the issues that are important to us, all of the issues that, that we're having conversations about every day, all of the issues that every other home is thinking about, worrying about, fighting through. You and I have a chance to show the beauty and the goodness of God's instructions. Because guess what? These aren't rules just to make an angry God happy and hopefully get into heaven. These are instructions for you, for your good, for your well-being. Contrary to popular opinion, God's not just trying to get all your money. It's already His. He is trying to make sure you don't go after the wrong God because the wrong God always kills you. That's what Jesus meant when He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. You know what all this instruction is? It's, it's all the abundance of life. That, that's what God has for you. And you know, when I start living by this, I mean, you stop and think about it. Wait a minute. I don't have 100% of my salary. I only have 90%. Gosh, I have less ability to trust myself. That kind of forces me to trust in the Lord. Yeah, that's where the blessing comes from. The blessing comes from putting ourselves in places where we're disciplined or we have to depend upon the Lord even more. Or I can fight it and keep it to myself, rob God, steal from God, not trust in him at all. You know, I wonder how many times we've asked God, God, would you bless this? Would you provide here? Lord, we're really having a hard time making ends meet. And I I just can't help but wonder sometimes God says, well, you know, if you weren't stealing it from me to begin with, If you weren't denying everything I'm saying about your finances as the owner, you wouldn't be in any of this. So you think, sometimes our prayers are, hey, God, would you come fix what's broken because I've ignored you and rebelled against you? And then we say, you know, I prayed and God didn't make a bit of difference. No, he's he's given you the answer. And he absolutely wants you to enjoy the answer. To whom much is given, and you've been given much, much is required. Let's pray. Father, I pray that that our homes and our marriages are profoundly training our children how good your word is. Your word is always the path. Your word is always the way. It's always right. It's always good. It's always good for me, good for us. And Lord, I do, I do believe many of us in here, maybe almost all of us in here, really do want to believe, really do want to discover how good your word is. Father, sometimes we've backed ourselves into a corner, and it seems like that step to get to where you are seems so big. 
Thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. And thank you that whatever that step is, I step into your love. I step into your power. I step into your provision. Lord, I pray each one of us will know, hey, what's the next step in this area for me? What do I need to do to really start acknowledging and recognizing I'm not the owner of all this stuff? God is. Give us wisdom. Give us help. And Lord, I pray that our lives really will show that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.